Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Aaron Ammerman. The founder of Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary, which, located in Gainesville, Florida, extends across 210 acres, 125 of which are earmarked for a dedicated wildlife preserve, with the remainder of the land devoted to housing rescued farm animals, including pigs, donkeys, and cows. Many, many cows. In fact, between the original sanctuary founded in 2016 and a second facility that had been a 200-acre ranch and hay farm in nearby Alachua, which then became an additional refuge for rescuing animals. So collectively, the Critter Creek operation is home to almost 150 cows, which they say makes them the largest cow sanctuary in the country. And really, who am I to argue? So... Beyond that uh, coterie of cows, the Crater Creek population also includes turkeys, horses, and what's described as a very demanding water buffalo, which I certainly will look into later. Ammerman has a not-so-secret alter ego as an author and professor, having taught for the better part of 20 years at Florida State College at Jacksonville. She is the author of Exploring Anatomy and Physiology in the Laboratory, a best-selling textbook, the success of which has gone a long way towards underwriting the purchase and operation of the Critter Creek Juggernaut. Find out more about Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary and very possibly a little something about anatomy from strictly an academic standpoint, mind you, when I speak with Aaron Ammerman in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. And later in today's program, instead of a short second interview, which I often do here on Talking Animals, I'm going to play an extended piece in the comedy corner by the great and somehow late... Norm MacDonald. Word arrived last Tuesday that Norm had died at 61, and I uh, adored Norm MacDonald. was a huge fan of people like Letterman and Coleman say you're the funniest comic out there. You're probably no slouch. And while I was hardly friends with Norm, whenever I saw him, he was friendly and kind. So I looked for a piece to play last week on the, uh, on the fly, kind of, but couldn't find a good version of exactly what I was looking for. And besides, I told my wife I was afraid I might start crying if I talked about Norm last week. Maybe this week I won't have that trouble. Maybe I will. But I found the version of the stand-up piece I wanted from Conan, of course. The quintessential Norm sensibility applied to all kinds of dogs. So we'll salute Norm by hearing that piece later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss rescued farm animals and more with Aaron Ammerman. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663. Emailing DJ at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885. This is Aaron Ammerman on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Duncan. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks for joining us. And yours is a story that practically demands that we start at the beginning, just because the beginning really does launch an overarching narrative, it would seem, that can be traced from early, early childhood right through to today. So talk about how a rodent played a pivotal role in your uh, very early education about animals and how people can view species of animals very differently. Uh, Right. Well, uh, my road to rescue started with um, a rat, (laughs) which is uh, something that I imagine some would find surprising. Um, I grew up as kind of a sickly child and uh, lots of asthma and allergies, which I still have. Uh, and uh, we weren't able to have any pets. And so uh, when I was seven years old, my mom had done research. She was a nurse and found that a hamster would be a good option for uh, a kid like me with the asthma and allergies. So we went to the pet store to go pick out my hamster. And the first hamster that I tried to hold um, bit me and peed on me. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's a fine how do you do, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So then we tried uh, another hamster um, who, who did the same thing. And so the young woman at the pet store said, have you ever considered a rat as a pet? And, of course, we had not. You know, who thinks of a rat as a pet? Yeah. 
so she informed us that rats are actually delightful little critters. And uh, she handed me one, and he was amazing. He climbed up on my shoulder. He didn't bite me. He did pee on me, but... (laughs) There there is a running theme here, I'm afraid, Aaron. But uh, anyways, please continue. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, So we, of course, came home with the rat, and he really was a true... His name was Templeton, and Templeton was a truly delightful little creature. Um, But what I found is that... uh, other people did not share my enthusiasm for my little pet rat. And uh, I got a lot of really unpleasant comments, even from adults, um, about him. I, I took him to school one day to um, do like a show-and-tell thing. And um, other teachers even said things like they wanted to feed him to a snake and they wanted mm. to you know, put him in the trash where he belonged. Uh, and as a seven-year-old, that was very uh, heartbreaking for me. Yeah. But... More than anything, it was also confusing because these same teachers had hamsters and gerbils um, in their classrooms as pets. And my rat was really no different than the hamsters and the gerbils, uh, except that he didn't want to bite anybody. (laughs) So I I didn't understand why uh, hamsters and gerbils were viewed so differently. And then rats were on another. Yeah. Um, So that really kind of opened my eyes at a very young age to the differential way that we view species of animals that are very similar in other respects. Um, And uh, and that kind of grew uh, the older I got, and I realized that that differential treatment applied to all sorts of animals across the animal kingdom. We treat chickens one way and songbirds another, uh, cats and dogs one way, and pigs another, horses one way, cows another, and and so on. And Aaron, do you think that as a seven-year-old, I mean, you you were probably puzzled and and bothered and maybe even hurt by the reaction to Templeton, which, by the way, how did Templeton get his name? Great name. So I got to ask about the name. Um, His name came from Charlotte's Web. Okay, I figured as much, but I just thought we'd verify. Okay. So anyway... Yeah, because it just seems like you've chosen to go with Templeton as opposed to the hamster, and you're excited because you're a little kid, and here's your new pet. So people are reacting that way. So even though you were seven, uh, obviously you were aware that something was weird and amiss, even if you couldn't put your finger on it or or articulate it, of course, then. But it sounds like it stayed with you and kind of informed a lot of the thinking that has come since then, and of course, largely defines, I guess, a lot of the the educational other efforts that you undertake today at the sanctuary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that had a, a very profound effect on me, and, and the effect only grew as I got older. So how do you think, even if, like I say, you couldn't articulate things or probably put your fingers on at the time, still there was something bothering you as a kid about the reaction of Templeton, and you were carrying it around. So how do you think, as you made your way through childhood and, and at least a little beyond, how do you think it shaped you and sort of important choices that you made thinking like, well, there's this weird thing that I, I had this weird experience with my pet rat, Templeton. And so what kind of influence did it have early on, would you say? Uh, I have always had um, what uh, my, my mom refers to as a heightened sense of justice. Uh, things that are inherently unfair bother me a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I think that the way that people viewed Templeton and the way that they treated uh, him and talked about him enhanced that heightened sense of justice or, or maybe enraged. Right, <laughs> or injustice in this case, yeah. Right, exactly. It, it seemed 
profoundly unfair that people weren't even willing to give him a chance, that they wanted to simply, you know, kill him. Like, why would you want to kill this wonderfully delightful little rat person? Yeah. Uh, and and so that, um, I think, as I grew older, that, that only, that, that heightened sense of justice was applied to um, other animal species as well. And, and, I mean, just the larger world around me. But that formative experience, uh, kind of, I think, set that in stone in my head. Yeah. Well, it was an early lesson, really, in bias and really a kind of a form of bigotry, right? Right, because, right. exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's tough to sort of deal with when you're seven. It's tough to, at any age, really. But but it also sounds like it kind of fueled you in a way that was maybe ultimately uh, constructive. I, I think so. Um, it, it certainly set me on the path to where I am today. Um, it, uh, it kind of lit a fire under me. Yeah. I, I wanted to do something to help the people, animals, you know, anyone who is, um, being unfairly, um, persecuted, I guess would be the, the right word there. Um, and, and it's, uh, it really definitely put me where I am now. Yeah. Cause a lot of that has to do with just a lack of awareness or education. I mean, just again, back to Templeton. I'm sure the people that were saying those awful things about what should happen to Templeton were just thinking of a certain kind of stereotypical rat, not really even knowing or understanding that there were also rats that could be and, in fact, do make very good pets, but they were just operating with the other view. And that, again, uh, I think is sort of a through line here because a lot of people, if they're not educated enough or just not aware enough or just don't choose to kind of delve into some stuff, then they do uh, kind of almost naturally fall into that sort of form of speciesism that we're sort of touching on here. Right, exactly. And and it, it's not um, usually a conscious thing. It's just that society teaches us that some animals are one way and some animals are another way. Uh, and uh, unless we really examine that, it's hard to break out of it. So I, I understand where that comes from. Um, but, uh, you know, part of my goal uh, as the founder of a sanctuary is to try to disabuse people of those kinds of societal prejudices and notions. Which is one of the many virtues of sanctuary that has farmed animals, because otherwise, uh, as you say, people are just going to sort of move along largely informed by again, what the stereotypical information is and not have any particular reason to, to challenge those those views or what, what are being presented as norms unless they go to a sanctuary and say, wow, I met an incredible cow today and that got me thinking. And then dot, dot, dot. I mean, at least ideally, that's how it probably goes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's 100% our aim here. Yeah. So for what it's worth, I just got a quick email here. It says, uh, hi, Duncan. Rats play a big role in saving the day in the new Suicide Squad movie. I always thought that rats got a bad rap, but they aren't so bad and they get good credit in the film. So there you go. See, that's another uh, that's a, uh, offshoot of, of Templeton uh, trying to do some good here. So um, so let, let's let the folks know who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Aaron Ammerman, the founder of Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary, which across two facilities located in and around Gainesville, houses some 150 cows, making um, collectively, they, they say, the, the country's largest cow sanctuary. They provide refuge to other rescued farm animals as well, including pigs, donkeys, turkeys, and horses. If you'd like to ask Aaron a question about the sanctuary, about those cows, or about the other animals, 
Uh, if you'd just like to offer a comment generally on the topic we're addressing, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So how, how more directly, can maybe just draw a line for me about that sense of uh, rage and injustice and injustice, really, that your mom identified and that you've identified that was, was true and, and made worse by the Templeton situation and others, no doubt. How did you go from there to saying, okay, well, here's how I'm going to address that. It's going to be a farm sanctuary. Uh, I don't know if you were considering any other um, scenarios or how, how did you arrive exactly kind of at that solution? Uh, well, when... By the time I was about like thirteen, fourteen, it it occurred to me that the same differential treatment that Templeton received uh, was applied to other species of animals, including the animals who were on my dinner plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing that I did was to stop eating other animals. I, I, if I couldn't justify eating a dog, then I also can't justify eating a pig or a cow or a bird or anybody else. Um, then I, I started to uh, take in rescued rats and rescued mice, much to the chagrin of my mother. <laughs> wow, that's great, though, because I mean, it sounds like you weren't like you were sticking with this this thing, no matter what people were saying. You weren't just moving on to other animals or whatever. It was like these rats are not getting a fair shake here. I got to do something. Right, right, exactly. Um, then, uh, as I got a little bit older. Um, uh, my, my husband and I moved up to Iowa. Uh, I continued with the rat rescuing thing, but I wanted to do more. So uh, we started volunteering at a no-kill animal shelter. We started taking in rescued cats and rescued dogs, ferrets. Um, but again, it still didn't feel like quite enough. You know, I wanted to do more, have a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at some point, in 1997, I told my husband, uh, we're going to need to buy at least 100 acres, and it has to have a creek on it because I'm going to open Critter Creek Animal Sanctuary. <laughs> it's great to work backwards from the name. I like that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and I think he might have thought that uh, I would lose interest or that I would move on to something else. Uh, and he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but what what was what was his initial response beyond saying, "Well, surely this is maybe a passing fancy of errands or whatever"? But was he also thinking that, you know, geez, even now there's a, there's a part of this that sounds like she is absolutely serious. Um, you know, to to his credit, he has always been incredibly supportive and understanding of my rescue desires. Yeah. So uh, even though he might have thought that I would eventually change my mind and move on, um, he's always been a a go-with-the-flow kind of person and like, well, okay, you want to take in some rescued cats? You want to take in some rats? You know, let's do it. That's fine. Yeah. Well, there is a bit of a leap from there to, to someone telling you that, you know, you're married to... Uh, hey, just so you know, we're going to have to get, be getting 100 acres soon, and it's got to be on a creek. I mean, that's that's you know, t- I mean, that's a go, that's a true go with the flow person that can say, okay, I'm 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 down for that too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and again, to his 100 percent credit, he's been on board the whole time. Yeah. So, uh, 
Yeah, and there's not a lot of people who would be like that. So uh, it's, I, I got lucky there. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I guess a lot of us did too with the upshot of, of, of kind of what you pledged there in 97 because uh, obviously, um, you know, you, you uh, followed through on that and then some. So um, let's actually, we have a caller here. Let's see if we'll get them involved in the conversation and we'll go back to some, uh, some of how this thing unfolded. Um, Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Aaron Emmerman. Oh, good morning. Uh, I live across... Yeah, I, I, I want to be real quick. I live across the street from Al Lopez Park, which is across the street from, from the football stadium. Uh, do your critters include the land tortoises? Uh, well, we're actually talking about a specific uh, facility, Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary, which is right. in and around Gainesville. So I'm not sure that your question uh, is something that, that no, we can deal with today. The, the uh, tortoises are being flushed out of the park, and they're getting killed. Yeah. And I've seen it quite. And I've even seen it after the damn tortoise dropped some eggs in, in, in their hole. The maintenance people rode over the damn turtle, and he was squished in the grass. It just made me mad as hell. I called, I called some people, but I don't see any. Uh, I don't see anything happening. I was just wondering, do you protect those critters too? Well, we certainly have done a show on that very nature about just uh, construction and housing developments and other things and how they've squeezed out all kinds of animals, including uh, tortoises and whatever. So uh, you might want to check TalkingAnimals.net for information and, and shows about that. It's a pretty easy uh, website to search. There's a good database. So you might find some information there that could be helpful. Thank you so much for your call. So, Aaron, okay, so you make this pledge in 97. And uh, tell me how you sort of carried it out and how long it took to actually uh, execute. Uh, well, you know, buying 100 acres is not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, we had to both finish school and uh, get jobs and um, start saving up money. So uh, pretty much everything that I did from then on out, with from finishing school to pursuing career choices, um, was with the aim of being able to save up enough money to buy property so that I could have the sanctuary. Yeah. Uh, so that took me through uh, medical school. Um, it took me through, uh, I, when I graduated, I decided to go into education instead of practicing. Um, and then that led me to textbook writing. And um, eventually, by 2012, uh, I had finally, well, we both had finally reached a point where we had enough money saved away that we could start looking for property. And uh, in 2012, I found what we call the forest. And it's a uh, 125-acre forest with a creek. <laughs> of course, <laughs> large, yeah. With a large creek system. Uh, and uh, we purchased that. Um but we weren't really sure what we were going to do with it. I, I had this big piece of land, but I don't want to go bulldoze it or anything. You know, it's a forest. So uh, we waited. There was a farm just adjacent to the forest that was also for sale for roughly a, a billion dollars. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> Way out of our price range. Yeah. So we just waited and hoped that the price would come down. And, and eventually, three years later, it finally did. 
And so in 2015, we were able to purchase that, and it was a farm. And, you know, up till this point, we weren't 100% sure what species of animal we were actually going to be rescuing. Yeah, I was wondering about that because it sounded like it was just like a broad... Uh, idea that you stated very directly and clearly to your husband, but it wasn't. It didn't seem didn't seem like you necessarily included in that like what kind of animals would be involved. Just that you knew you needed to do that, and you got you guys were going to work towards being able to do it. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and so, as as we're standing here looking at this farm that's set up for you know cows mostly, um, like why not rescue farmed animals? Farmed animals are the ones that. Nobody really thinks about when they think of animals needing rescue. Yeah, there's, there's lots of facilities dedicated to uh, exotic wildlife. There's lots dedicated to dogs and cats and horses, um, but the farmed animals are the ones we kind of tend to forget about. Um, which that's that heightened sense of justice thing again. <laughs> yeah, that, that seemed very unfair to me, and so Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary was born. Wow. Well, that that last moment or two of the story was like uh, <laughs> kind of screeching into like the uh, interview, like what it was. So, but really, uh, it sounds like in some ways, all kidding aside, that the early experience with Templeton, the the rage and outrage and sense of justice that you carried along over that, it almost naturally evolved towards a farm animal sanctuary. I, I think so. Um, the experiences that I had um, even as a kid where I I realized that a cow is not that different from a horse and yet one is a a treasured pet family member and another is food Um, or or same thing with a pig Um, and I I saw that they were among the most abused creatures on the planet Um, so it, it really just kind of made sense that that was where I was going to land either either that or a giant rat sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, which you know, hundred acres would would probably seem like more than more than enough for a, a, a rat a sanctuary, but maybe not. But um, but yeah, it seems like kind of the size and the location and and another enough a few things kind of would just form this confluence where he said, "Okay, th- I've got it now. This is what it is. This is what it's supposed to be. Let's go." Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, so t- tell me about the sanctuaries, because uh, first there was that initial plot of land. And, and by the way, given the, the stated goal and the dream and, and thankfully having a husband who was a, pretty much game for anything and, and going along with this, what was it like? What did it feel like when, that, when you actually were able to f- purchase that first plot of land especially? And when it was like, it was, hey, this is ours now. Um, it felt kind of surreal at first. Um, as, as much as I wanted to rescue animals, um, farmed animals in specific, I, I didn't know very much about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the property, uh, it was set up for cattle, but it needed a lot of um, you know, maintenance and updates and yeah. fence repairs. Like farm sanctuaries, but 90% of what we do is repairing and putting up fences. That's, sure. <laughs> that becomes almost a full-time job. Um, so there was that initial period where we had this plot of land and knew what we wanted to do with it, but didn't even know how to start. 
you know, so it, it felt a little surreal. Like, like we have this, it's waiting <laughs> for us, but we... Now what? Yeah, n- now what? Like, yeah. I mean, my, my husband was like, nobody's going to just give us cows. <laughs> <laughs> we, we may not have fully thought this all the way through, but right. uh, yeah. <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking of that, like, because then once that got addressed and sorted out and there was fencing and things and, and was able to, to house animals, I mean, it does seem, as as I've kind of noted once or twice so far, that there's not just cows, but like a preponderance of cows. Was, right. Is that, I mean, did you guys quickly sort of become cow people or were there other circumstances about rescue situations or even seizures or legal cases or something that accounted for like some large numbers of cows kind of in short order making their way to the, at least the, the, the collective two, two parcels of land for Critter Creek? Uh, it, I felt something of a, a bond with cows. We lived previously down the road from uh, a cattle operation, like a, a small cattle operation, you know, the ones that you see on the sides of the road when you mm-hmm. drive down. Uh, so we were maybe just, just a couple miles away from this cattle operation, and we noticed that at certain times of year, the cows would start to cry. They would make these horrible wailing noises for days. Um, and eventually we realized that these wailing noises correlated with the times that the trucks came take the babies and the, mm. quote, cull cows away to the slaughterhouse or to market. Oh, jeez. Um, so when we realized that that was why they were yowling, um, that, 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 that hit hard. Yeah. Um, it created this, this horrible sense of helplessness. Um, but it it also, it was a, a sense of familiarity. Like, this, they grieve their loved ones and their friends in the same way that we do. Yeah. You know, their, their grief was palpable just in the same way that our grief is palpable when we lose a loved one. Uh, so I, I felt this real affinity toward cows and wanted to do whatever I could to ease the pain of, of any I could possibly rescue. Yeah. So that's why we looked to cows first. Then as we uh, continued on, we realized that cows are very hard to place in sanctuaries. They're big. They take up a lot of space. You're supposed to have at least one acre per cow. And they usually come in groups. You don't usually get one cow at a time. So you say you have a five-acre sanctuary. Well, you take in a herd of three or four cows, and you're full. Oh, wow. So were you initially thinking, Aaron, that when you were so affected by the, the wailing noises of, of those cows and thought, okay, this is what we need to do, but were you initially thinking this would almost be like a uh, like kind of a interim space for them to be, and then you would place them elsewhere? Uh, farmed animals are very difficult to adopt out. Right. No, I know. But just when you said it turned out it was difficult to, to put them elsewhere, I thought maybe that's initially oh, no, what you no, had. No, I'm, I'm sorry. What I meant there was that when a rescue organization takes in cows, yeah. like the SPCA or uh, just any kind of smaller rescue group that works with law enforcement, when they take in cows, they have a very hard time finding placement for them. Right. Okay. Um, because there's just not a lot of sanctuaries who have the space. adequate facilities to, yeah. to take a herd of cows. And that's often what happens, right, when there's, uh, especially on some unfortunate kind of case of neglect or abuse or whatever, uh, like you said, it's not just a single cow that needs help, it's several. 
Right, exactly. Uh, we we just took in a herd of 40. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How recently was that? Uh, that was in, uh, it was over the summer, so June, July. Wow. They, we were working with the South Florida SPCA. Uh, they are primarily a horse rescue, but they have hearts of gold, and they will help any type of farmed animal in need uh, or, quote, livestock animal in need. Uh, and they were called in by law enforcement to Sunrise, Florida. The, the South Florida SPCA is in Homestead. So they were called up to Sunrise, Florida, which is an hour and a half away, at, to a, a field that was basically empty. It was like 130 acres of scrub. Uh, the cows were not being fed. They didn't mm. have water. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and there were deceased animals all over the place. And, and the cows were just completely emaciated. And so uh, their director, Lori Wagoner, called us and told us about it. And you know, our, our first thought was, you know, we have to help them all. <laughs> right. And then the second thought was, can we? Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, they had already been through so much. They had already lost friends and family members to you know, starvation. And, and we didn't want them to be separated. Every herd is a family. Uh, and so since they had lost so much of their family already, we didn't want them to be separated and go through further trauma. Yeah. So, you know, we have to help them. And so we set out to figure out how we could do it. And we did it. So did that just mean like, oh my gosh, okay, everybody who can do fencing, let's get let's get busy because it sounded like uh, you probably what you said they need a lot of space they need fencing and then refencing when something gets damaged or whatever so it must have been a furious effort to get ready to accommodate those 40 uh, it, it was um, you know there were some infrastructure issues that we had to take care of and yeah. we had to figure out where they were going to go uh, at our Critter Hills facility which is the former 200 acre cattle ranch uh, we we did have space. Uh, we have some fields that are kind of in the back mm. that the main herd doesn't use, and so there were areas where they could go that had nice lush grass. Uh, yeah, but with them, we had to figure out how to um, properly feed them because they, coming from such a situation where they were so emaciated, they need more than just grass. Sure. Um, and, and then some of them were more emaciated than others, and so they had to go into quarantine pens because they had special medical needs and dietary needs and, and yeah. medicine and, and so on. So it, it, it was it was a lot. But yeah. they're all doing extremely well. That's great. And that's great to be able to step up in that way because I think most people that are placing those kind of calls think, well, no one's going to take 40 cows, even if they're heartbroken by the news and the description or even photos or whatever of their condition. But it's just like the practicality of it would seem like unlikely to, to, to get a yes. So the fact that you're able to say yes is fantastic and that they're doing so well is even more fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're all very happy and very um, we're very grateful to the SPCA for what they did in saving them. Um, and uh, and we're grateful to uh, our donors and supporters who uh, helped to make it possible. Yeah, so I'm gonna t we're going to take another call in one sec, but I just want to say, speaking of that, the uh, the website to find out more about uh, the sanctuary and really the two kind of locations, in a sense, and, and some of these cows and others that uh, we've alluded to is CritterCreekFarmSanctuary.org. Let's take a caller. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Aaron Emerson. Hello there. This is this is Jason. Hi, Jason. I just wanted to. I really appreciated hearing Aaron's story and, and experience. I'm calling because my wife has 
an affinity for cows. Don't know another way to express that. Um, whenever we're traveling or, you know, our conversation always seems to turn to, to cows for a long, for many miles when, whenever we see one. In fact, she even alters her route to work when she was commuting so she could go buy cows. Um, so I don't know if this might be on, on the website you just mentioned, but are there any, and, and also and, and as an aside, I appreciate you uh, relating um, some of the personal elements that cows live in families. They ex- experience grief and, and that kind of thing. Are there any cow experiences available where one could come up and, and perhaps meet and interact with the cow on your property. Boy, you anticipated one of my next questions beautifully. So, uh, Aaron, take it away because I think you'll be hearing some good good uh, answers to your question there, sir. Awesome. Uh, well, thank, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, and your wife sounds like somebody who would be a friend of mine. <laughs> um, we, on our website, have a tab that says visit, and it explains the different ways that you can come up and uh, visit us and interact with the animals. So once a month, we have uh, what we call our Farmer's Mookus, which is a free event where uh, the public can come out and browse vendors and uh, interact with the cows and the pigs and the donkeys at our Critter Creek facility. Uh, we also have private tours for both facilities that are available on the website. Um, we're looking into getting um, public tours set back up. We were doing those pre-COVID, but with COVID, uh, our volunteer staff dropped off significantly. Um, so we're rebuilding our volunteer staff so that we can get some public tours up and running again soon. Uh, if you follow us on social media, we announce these events, and uh, there's also links to set up private tours if you're interested. Our, our social media is just Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary on Instagram or Facebook. Very good. Thank you for that information. And, and, and just one other quick thing. I, um, your story really illustrates the power of having a vision and, and the fact that, you know, so many years ago, you, you know, hatched this plot. Um to do this, and, and you actually got exactly what you wanted down to the, the creek on your property and the, the <laughs> amount of acreage and all of that, that's really astonishing. Um, and it shows, I guess, um, you're, you're definitely in, in the right place. <laughs> Thank you. Th- thanks for that, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's really true. And uh, before we uh, start to run out of time, I mean, yeah, the realization of that vision that really, in a sense, spawned with the uh, weird and puzzling and not nice uh, responses to to Templeton when you were seven. I mean, that's a long, cool story arc, really, that places where we are now. So I, uh, I absolutely agree with what Jonathan said. It's like you really had a vision. and uh, And the great thing about that vision, in some ways, was that you just knew you needed to to help animals, that there was this kind of weird bias and speciesism, that you wanted to get a big plot of land, which you announced clearly to your husband, but that even then you weren't quite sure what the animals in question were going to be, what which ones were going to be served by this, just that you knew you needed to do it. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I'm nothing if not determined. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's great because it's only by sort of saying, okay, I'm going to do this and then starting to do it that then it came into focus as you started to get closer and closer to executing and reaching that goal they, that it became really clear like, okay, this is the animals that are, I'm, I'm sort of destined to help right now by this kind of lifelong narrative that we've been talking about. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think I'm in the right place. So let's uh, have a number of other things I want to address with you, uh, Aaron. But one of the things I think we should meet a few of the animals living at the sanctuary. First, I absolutely got to ask about the quote unquote very demanding water buffalo, just because <laughs> I laughed out loud when I saw that on the website. So um, please, <laughs> please give me some details. Okay, so the water buffalo, his name is Seymour. Uh, water buffalo are actually not native to the United States. They're native to Indonesia and uh, Vietnam and places like that. Um, but there is an industry here, unfortunately, that breeds water buffalo for mostly dairy, uh, but also for their meat. Uh, so Seymour was born on a buffalo dairy. And on any dairy, the males are considered kind of a waste product because they don't make milk. So Seymour was to be sent to market uh, right after he was born. Um, but the person who was taking him to market kind of bonded with him and decided to save him instead. So he, he lived with this family for uh, 12 years, and then they ended up having to sell their property, and they contacted Farm Sanctuary up in New York to see if they could help them find a home for Seymour. And uh, some of our uh, social media supporters saw a post about Seymour, and they contacted us and said, you have to get a water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You don't hear that every day. Yeah. No, 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 you certainly don't. So we, we looked into him. We looked at his story. Uh, we fell in love with him immediately. Uh, and we realized that uh, our Critter Hills facility would actually be the perfect spot for him because they're more kind of tropical animals. They like the hot weather. Mm. Uh, but Critter Hills has lots of ponds as well. So he, he would have a really great place. Uh, so we worked it out with Farm Sanctuary. They brought him down here. Uh, and uh, and we wound up with a water buffalo. And he's, he's, a, um, he's very, very smart. Uh, and he is a little bit like a toddler. Uh, you know, when, when he doesn't get what he wants, he kind of throws tantrums, except he's 3,000 pounds. Wow, yeah. So it's a 3,000-pound toddler throwing a tantrum. He is full of personality. Sounds uh, like it. He his name when he's called. Uh, he, If you don't have offerings for him in the form of apples or treats of some sort, he makes this kind of frog croak noise. Wow. <laughs> He sounds like he's full of personality in all kinds of ways, and uh, I like this. I like Seymour. I, I, I knew I would when he was described as a very demanding water buffalo. I just thought, okay, this is my kind of animal. But with all those cows living there that we have talked about, there's also, just maybe by coincidence or not, there's a lot of photos of you with pigs. Are pigs kind of your favorite or at least equal second favorite in terms of the animals that live at Critter Creek or Critter Hills? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to ever say that I have favorites. Right. Especially if Seymour <laughs> gets wind of it, that it could be trouble. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We don't want a 3,000-pound tantrum. Uh, I, I do have a, a significant fondness for pigs, and I always have. I find pigs to be very, very misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, and, and they are so incredibly intelligent, and uh, their emotions and their personalities are, are almost human-like in some ways. Uh, it's very easy to bond with a pig and, and to re relate to that pig. Um, a little bit like we do with dogs. They're, they're kind of like hyper-intelligent dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, so the the pigs live at our Critter Creek facility where they can interact with the public during our public events. Um, and I, I think, I hope, that people 
often come away with a different view of them after they interact with them. You know, when you have a group of pigs come up to you and flop down on the ground and ask for you to rub their bellies, <laughs> um, I think that's that pretty has irresistible some kind of effect. Yeah, for sure. So we're kind of in our last moment or two here, Aaron. So, I mean, in a perfect world, I would find out a little bit more about some of the other animals. But I, I guess given the discussion that we've had from the, the beginning, um, I would guess that uh, given that path that you've already traveled, you probably have some longer-term plans, either for Critter Creek, Critter Hills, or otherwise. I mean, what, what does the future hold when you look out a little bit uh, down the road? Um, it, it, my trajectory has been, like, always wanting to go bigger, mm-hmm. you know, have a, a wider reach and have a more deeper impact on uh, on animals. And um, that's kind of my trajectory is just to continue to go bigger. I don't know if that means getting more property and, and expanding so that we can take in more animals. I don't know if that means expanding our public outreach. Um, you know, we have some five-year and 10-year plans. Yeah that uh, expand upon those goals. Uh, I'm not sure which will hit first, but basically I won't feel satisfied until until sanctuaries aren't necessary anymore. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I don't want us to have to rescue animals. I, I want all animals to be safe and happy and secure and feel loved. And I don't think I'll feel finished until that goal is accomplished. And that, almost certainly that goal won't be accomplished in my lifetime. So I <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I will spend the rest of my life trying to go bigger and uh, trying to help more animals. And have you declared either those five-year or ten-year longer-term plans, at least any specifics to your husband, the way that the initial 1997 plan was uh, declared? Uh, well, we've been married for almost 25 years at this point. Yeah. So I think he knows by now. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it goes without saying, perhaps, at this point. Yeah. Right, right. I got exactly. you. Yeah. All right, well, Aaron, gosh, thank you so much. It's been really great speaking with you. This has been Aaron Ammerman from Critter Creek Farm Sanctuary. Again, the website is org. And as she noted, uh, all kinds of great uh, social media pages for information about what's going on lately and some meeting some new animals or just uh, seeing some new experiences with some longer-term animals or opportunities to visit and meet some of them in person, et cetera. So, uh, Aaron, so thank you so much for uh, making the time to join us today on Talking Animals. Well, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. In the opening of the show, I mentioned playing a little longer comedy piece today in salute to Norm MacDonald. I love Norm. I was greatly saddened by his death. He was enormously funny. I guess that goes without saying at this point. And that was true whenever, whatever he was talking about, very much including wiener dogs and other dogs too. So from one of his many appearances on Conan, this is Norm MacDonald in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Thanks. Thanks. Well, hey. Hello. No, no, you don't say hello. Uh, big week for me today. I, uh, I bought a dog, and uh, man, I don't know about you, but uh, these dogs are getting kind of, kind of expensive, aren't they? Aren't they? What the hell's going on with the price of dogs? I mean, what's the, what's the deal there with the dogs? So I got this dog story, you know, and a typical salesman there, you know, he's one of them big, high-pressure dog salesman types, you know. So the guy tried to sell me his dog, 500 bucks, you know, big 500 buck dog, and I'm looking to pay, you know, maybe a, a buck or... <laughs> so, 
two bucks, maybe. I'm thinking two bucks. That was my ceiling, you know, two bucks. I figured that's, I'm not going higher than two bucks. What, what do I, what am I, made of money? So the guy goes, no, no, he says, buy this dog here. He says, this is a pit bull. It will protect your valuables, this dog, you know? And uh, I don't have any valuable. I don't own anything. What do I look like I own stuff, you know? I buy the pit bull, that would be the most valuable thing I own. That'd be, that'd be the, that would be the thing. Now I have to buy something to protect it, you know, then I'd be out, be shopping for wolverines the next day, you know, I'd be, I'd be going, what do you got in a timber wolf? Show me something in a timber wolf. What do you got? You got anything in a, in a timber wolf there? What do you got? <laughs> Timberwolves? But, uh, you got it, you know, they're an expensive dog, you know, that's my point. <laughs> Where the hell did that dog even come from, a pit bull? I never heard of that dog. When I grew up, there was no pit bulls, you know? That's not even a... How does that dog just show up like that one day, you know? <laughs> When I was a kid, the toughest dog was a Doberman dog. You ever see them? They're a tough... Oh, man, they'll rip your throat out, them dogs. <laughs> Just like a pit bull. That's how they kill you. <laughs> and they rip your throat out and you die, you know? But I'm not telling you anything you don't know. <laughs> but uh, they're a dangerous dog. I don't buy no dangerous dogs, I'll tell you that. I buy a nice... I always buy a dog that if I have to, I can take them. You know, that's my... I always... I got a wiener dog. I got one of them. That's a nice dog, a wiener dog. They can't rip your throat out. Unless you're lying down, you know, that'd be the only way. You'd have to be lying down, sleeping. And then late at night, the wiener dog would sneak up and start nibbling at your throat there. And then you wake up, how oh, get away from me, you wiener dog! What the hell do you think you are, a pit bull or something? You're not a pit bull. You're nothing but a wiener dog. It's ridiculous. It's all you'll ever be, when you think about it. Oh, man, but I love my wiener dog, you know? <laughs> you don't see Dobermans anymore, you know what I'm Pit bulls now everywhere. Doberman's like a forgotten dog, you know? You never see a Doberman. <laughs> Once in a while, you see him, like, you'd be on a, on a park bench with a Frisbee, you know? I used to be somebody. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a Doberman. <laughs> But, oh, I love my wiener dog. <laughs> uh, I got him a nice gift. I forget, it's his birthday. I got, he's got a lot of birthdays. I got him one of them uh, rubber bones. You ever see them? That's a fun gift, huh, for a dog? And then the dog gets it and goes, ah, yes, not a bone, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a million laughs. It's not a, it's a, not a bone at all. <laughs> okay, well, hey. 
That's it for me, huh? Hey, you guys have been great. Hey, enjoy. Uh, good night. That was Norm MacDonald. Today's Comedy Corner with a piece I've called Wiener Dogs and Other Dogs, taken from one of his many appearances on Conan. Rest in peace, Norm. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m. at Glorious. Three hours of music, followed by Robin uh, Hooper with yet another three hours of music. And the music just keeps rolling along as we get into our block of Latin programming and beyond here on WNF and WNF.org. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. You can name that animal too, and we'll be taking that off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Next Wednesday, my guest will be Mary Keith, field trip coordinator for the Birding and Nature Festival taking place October 15th through 17th held at the Manatee Viewing Center in Apollo Beach, Florida. A three-day event devoted to field trips and boat trips, seminars and speakers, some offered via Zoom, some presented in person outside with masks required and social distancing encouraged nature expo more so that's all uh, we'll be um looking forward to hearing all the details and some of the cool speakers and other things going on uh when we speak with mary keith next wednesday on talking animals i invite you to join me for that show so visit talkinganimals.net for audio archives social media links all kinds of other stuff this is talking animals on wmnf tampa brandon clearwater largo wiki watch and beyond npr news headlines are next and the great scott elliott thanks